This Week in KMA Land, Minnesota Team Smokes Shindig Barbecue Competition. Montgomery County Supervisors Table Carbon Pipeline Ordinance. Shen Mayor and Council Pay Hikes Proposed. Former Atlantic Police Chief Named New Shen SRO. Officers Cleared in Council Bluff Suspect Shooting Death. And we'll have the latest from the Page County Board of Supervisors and highlights from Thursday night's Skia Banquet. I'm Mike Peterson. Shenandoah was the battlefield for a major cooking competition last weekend. And in the end, one team reigned supreme amongst barbecue competitors. Hot Daddy's Barbecue won the overall grand championship in the 2023 Shenandoah Shindig Barbecue Championship Saturday afternoon. The Graston, Minnesota team was among 37 participating in the second annual competition. Kyle and Amy Kuhn are the husband and wife duo comprising Hot Daddy's. Kyle told KMA News the victory came as a surprise for the couple who take part in other events in Iowa and Minnesota. He attributes the win to a successful formula. We've nailed down our program and we've just been kind of fine-tuning it over the last few years and it started hitting last year and we just keep on with the same program. Teams began filming a lot behind Shenandoah's Elks Lodge as early as last Friday morning and logged marathon hours to prepare beef, brisket, pork, pork ribs, and chicken for the discerning group of Kansas City Barbecue Society judges. Jordan Williams of Des Moines heads up Barbecue Pit Brothers of Des Moines. Uh, Williams says cooking competition food is an intricate process. Oh, it's pretty time-consuming, you know, trying to find the best quality meat, you know, going to two or three different stores, finding it, all the prep, you know, loading the trailer and getting the charcoal, the seasonings, the rubs, you know, everything. It takes quite a bit of time, I think. For David Hintz of Granger, competing as Polk County Barbecue is his true hobby. I don't have a bass boat. I don't have a set of golf clubs. I, I don't have a Harley. This is my hobby. This is my escape from my day-in, day-out job that I... I love, but I like doing this, and it's just been an addiction. Ryan Seek of Tabor is a member of That's What She Said Barbecue. Seek says he and other teams enjoy the camaraderie of the barbecue community. No matter what, we've made several friends uh, with several teams around here, uh, dropping hints, uh, having conversations, feeding each team feeds each other something, drinks are shared amongst people. It is a very good community, and it's a really good time. Everybody's super friendly and loves to have a good time. Teams from six states and several surrounding communities competed in Shindig 23. Toby Antonson of Lincoln's Team Brew and Q gave the event's organization high marks. He also noted how the Shenandoah community embraced the teams. Everybody's accommodating. Everybody wants it. We feel like people want us to be here and and there's there's some times where it, it just seems like ah oh, just another contest and and this is not it at all organizers are pleased with the overall competition and friday's and saturday's attendance shendig committee co-chairs stacy truex and mace henson credited the committee's teamwork and strong volunteer force with a successful event if you've been around the ra- the grounds you've seen all the teams everyone's excited everyone's in a good mood it's a great environment the spirit of everybody is just so friendly and loving towards each other, I feel. Yeah. We've heard nothing but amazing reviews. Every team that I've talked to throughout this entire weekend, uh, they're coming back next year. Yeah. They love Shenandoah. But the down of Shenandoah really helps. With the Shenandoah victory, Hot Daddies automatically qualifies for the Kansas City Royal Barbecue Competition and the International Invitational Championships and is entered into a drawing for the Jack Daniels World Championships in Kentucky. Rail Yard Barbecue of Land Kansas won the reserve championship as the second place team and Team Crawford of Atlantic received the Mayor's Trophy as the highest scoring team within 45 minutes of Shenandoah. Montgomery County officials are throwing the brakes on a proposed carbon pipeline ordinance. 
By unanimous vote Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved a motion not to take action on a proposed ordinance regulating carbon capture projects, such as Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed Midwest Express Pipeline project. Board members took action following a closed session with County Attorney Drew Swanson concerning legal strategies surrounding the ordinance. Following the closed session, Swanson says the supervisors opted to table the ordinance following a federal judge's recent ruling granting Summit an injunction preventing Shelby County from enforcing its own ordinances regulating the pipeline. The bottom line, that order states very clearly and in extreme detail each instance of why each part of that ordinance, the Shelby County ordinance, is preempted by state or federal law. Our ordinance is virtually identical and therefore we would wind up in the same situation um, as Shelby County is facing right now. Supervisors Chair Mike Olson says a sentence on page 36 of the ruling clearly sums up the board's decision that the county has no home rule on interstate pipeline projects. Upon balancing these interests, this element supports summit. Defendants may not pass unenforceable ordinances in a roundabout attempt to undermine valid federal and state law. And that pretty well sums up what, what Judge Rose had took 36 other papers, 35 other pages to, to come to that conclusion. Supervisor Donna Robinson agreed, saying the document outlining Judge Stephanie Rose's ruling is available to the public. If we would move forward to, to try to, um, as, Mike, as you read, to underline, you know, in our unenforceable ordinances, to move forward would be purposeful ignorance on our part. And I don't think that's the intention of this board. Certainly not mine. Prior to the closed session, the supervisors heard one last appeal from West Township resident Jan Norris to take action on the ordinance. Of course, I am hopeful there is a way forward to establishing a local ordinance to protect my my neighbors now if Summit is issued a permit by the IUB. But perhaps your neighborhood in the future will be next. All of us have always tried to be factual with Montgomery County and provide you with accurate information to better inform you. I hope, if nothing else, you understand how important this is by my tenacity. Though the supervisors postponed a decision now, Olson stresses that could change as either the Iowa legislature or the federal government could take action. The Iowa Utilities Board plans an evidentiary hearing on Summit's application for the project in August. Shenandoah officials are considering a proposed pay hike for the city's mayor and council members. By three to two votes Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council set public hearings for its August 8th meeting on proposed pay increases for city officeholders. Under the proposal, council members' pay would rise from $35 to $70 per meeting with the $20 per committee meeting fee eliminated, while the mayor's pay would double from $6,000 to $12,000 per year spread out over 26 pay periods. If approved, the mayoral council pay hikes will be the first increase in 18 years. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday, Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen says he proposed the increases for the council's perusal. Basically, there has not been an increase in the mayor or council pay since 2005. This is something we talked about probably a year ago looking at because, you know, that's pushing almost 25 years since uh, there's been any kind of a pay increase. You know, uh, we wrote this up, came up with the figures what we thought was uh, reasonable, you know. McQueen says it's time for the mayor and council to receive a raise. You know, I've checked with some other towns. I know one not very far away has not had an increase since 2001. So, you know, I think it's time. As far as to pay, you know, nobody gets into this job for the money, but to, uh, I guess, uh, 
confiscate a little bit of their time and it is to be in the office. Uh, I think, you know, we need to keep up. McQueen also cites increased costs as the reason for the pay boost. The mayor adds the council can vote on the proposed separately. Though the public hearings aren't for another two weeks, at least one person spoke in favor of the increases during Tuesday night's public comment period. Local resident Mace Henson says both the mayor and council positions merit a pay hike, citing so-called keyboard cowards doling out mental abuse in today's society. Henson says office holders can never be paid enough. Paid enough to offset the sleepless nights, the published beatings, the whippings that are doled out, and the mental exhaustion that are must face every day listening to some of these vicious, visceral, and brutal attacks. I, for one, commend every one of you that are currently sitting on the mayor and the council chairs for putting up with this crap. Council members Kim Swank and Tony Graham voted against the public hearing, saying there's better ways of spending the money. Swank says raises should be given to other city employees, such as lifeguards, for example. Graham says she agreed with Swank's position. Shenandoah is getting an experienced law enforcement official as its new school resource officer. By unanimous vote Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council approved the rate salary of Dave Erickson as SRO at $23.64 per hour. Both the council and Shenandoah School Board ratified a 28E agreement for the position earlier this year. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman tells KMA News Erickson retired as Atlantic's police chief about a year ago. He's got about 26 or so years of law enforcement experience. I believe he was in the Marine Corps before that. While he was at Atlantic, he did a lot of youth programs. Um, I know one in particular he's talked about a lot. He took, uh, you know, at-risk youth camping in the summers and just really, really worked a lot to broaden the outreach of the department up there. Lyman says Erickson recently met with himself, police chief Josh Gray, and school officials prior to his selection. He says Erickson is a great fit for SRO. When the opportunity came up to have him work, in, work with us and work with the school, you know, he kind of seemed to be a great fit that was already kind of doing some of those outreach programs that, that we would like to get started, and he's got that youth experience. He happened to drive bus for the Atlantic School District for about nine or ten years, so we're getting, we're getting somebody who's used to working with the schools from that perspective and uh, somebody with a great deal of experience, and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, Erickson was one of nine original applicants for the position. Six of those applicants underwent physical testing, while three took the written test. Erickson's duties begin August 7th following an SRO training period. Two police officers were justified in using deadly force in the shooting death of a chase suspect in Council Bluffs earlier this month. That's Pottawatomie County Attorney Matt Wilber's decision based on his review of an Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation probe into the death of 41-year-old Matthew Briggs. At a news conference Wednesday afternoon, Wibbler announced that Lieutenant Chad Gear, a 27-year veteran of the Council Bluffs Police Department, and Lieutenant Martin Stiles, a 23-year Omaha police veteran, will not be charged in the July 8th death of Briggs, who was wanted in connection with a homicide in Omaha earlier that day. Briggs led law enforcement officers in a high-speed chase through parts of two states. Wilbur says the pursuit began in Bellevue when Briggs carjacked a blue Toyota Camry at gunpoint. He led officers on a high-speed pursuit uh, that went just over 23 miles, started in Bellevue, went north on 13th Street into Omaha, across the Veterans Memorial Highway into Council Bluffs, through the entire south side of Council Bluffs, south on Interstate 29, uh, got off the interstate in Mills County at exit 42, headed on Bungie Avenue, then back north on Wabash Avenue, back into Council Bluffs, uh, speeds during this pursuit uh, achieved a 
rates over 100 miles an hour multiple times. The chase ended when Council Bluffs Officer Mark Archibald initiated a pit maneuver near the intersection of Valley View Drive and College Road in Council Bluffs. Wilbur says the officers opened fire after the suspect pointed his shotgun at them. Here fired the entirety of his 9mm handgun clip, uh, which is 17 rounds. Uh, Stiles was uh, carrying a 223 caliber rifle. He fired six rounds. Briggs was struck twice in the right hand, once in the left leg, once in the head. Officers stopped firing when Briggs dropped the shotgun and his hands dropped to his side and he stopped moving. And Wilbur says fortunately for both officers, Briggs' weapon jammed. He says the photos, video, and physical evidence are consistent with the officers' interviews and all evidence led to the conclusion that deadly force was justified. Some high-profile projects in Shenandoah are in various stages of development. Updates on four projects headlined Thursday night's Shenandoah Chamber and Industry Association annual meeting and ag banquet at the Waterfalls Event Center in Farragut. Michael and Kendra Weston are in the final stages of a full-scale remodeling of the former Howard Sporting Goods store on West Sheridan Avenue into Midwest Mental Health's new offices. Kendra says people who remember what Denny and Arlene Howard's former business looked like would not recognize it today. I recently had the pleasure of taking Denny and Dar on their first tour of the building since we have almost completed the renovation. And they were both blown away and I think just so thrilled to see that that building had been saved and was going to be used again for something that would give it a whole new life for many years to come. Kendra says the Howard's building became available after Midwest outgrew its current location at 523 West Sheridan Avenue. If you can you know, picture the store, now the building has 18 offices, five restrooms, two main waiting areas, two break areas, and a large conference area. So it will really help us service a much greater population and we'll actually use both buildings. That building will become our therapy and meds building and our current building that we're in right now will become our behavioral health building. Kendra says a soft opening of the new building is anticipated next with a grand opening and ribbon cutting ceremony expected at a later date. Another renovation project in progress down the street is the former Johnson Brothers Mill building. Last year, the Shenandoah City Council approved a resolution of support for Melosia LLC's renovation to the building at 818 West Sheridan Avenue. Melosia owner Dr. Margaret Brady says approximately 40 tons of feed and scrap metal debris were removed from the building before preliminary work began earlier this year. The tuck pointing is going to come back in the summer and do painting on the white parts that used to be white. They're going to be white again. Pella windows are making windows right now. They'll be installing those at the mezzanine level, which is the second level around. Um, that'll be done, they think in, they're estimating in September, so about a month away. We'll go through and put glass in all the windows that are still there, so it will look back to, we think, pretty much like it looked in 1945 when it was built pretty much authentic. Plans call for placing a warehouse workshop, retail businesses, and up to eight so-called mini-shops inside the 30,000-square-foot facility. One project already completed is Community First Credit Union's new location at 700 South Fremont Street. Opened back in March, the 4,000-square-foot facility replaced the former Skateland building previously occupying the project. Uh, Community First President and CEO Greg Hanshaw credited support from Skia and the Shenandoah community in general for helping his company build at that location. We couldn't possibly find a better location, and the rest is history. And the support we receive from Skia, the support we have received from the community, especially from the city, 
of Shenandoah, from the mayor, his staff, has just been off the charts. Um, incredibly supportive, incredibly thoughtful and helpful every step of the way. Indonesian Ski Executive Vice President Greg Connell updated the construction of the Shenandoah Senior Villa Apartments at 1401 West Sheridan Avenue. Connell says the project began in January 2021 when Andrew Dander of North Star Housing LLC contacted his office regarding the availability of land for a proposed senior housing complex. Connell says the property selected was the site of a former gas station considered an eyesore by city officials. As you well know, the intersection of Sheridan and Highway 59, there had been an abandoned gas station there for years. It was outside the city limits. The city could do nothing about it. It was in the county. And believe me, um, with Roger and Dick Hunt as the previous mayors, that property would have been taken care of if it, if it had been in the city limits. Connell credited Mayors Dick Hunt and Roger McQueen and the Shenandoah City Council for helping the project clear some hurdles, including annexing the Fremont County property at its city limits and rezoning the land through an amendment to City Code's Highway Business District provisions to include uses allowed in RM, Residential District Multiple Family, and RA, Residential District Apartments. Everything goes back to the city. Every one of these projects is an urban renewal project facilitated by, by our office, by my office, um, but they have to be approved by the mayor and they have to be voted on and approved by the city council. So every one of these urban renewal incentives that made these projects happen in Shenandoah are the result of, of the, the city taking the final act. Other issues, and most notably supply chain snags, delayed construction until this past spring. Connell credits Kester Construction Company officials with rapid construction progress since the project's foundation was poured in early April. Once completed, the 8,000-square-foot building will house 40 units for residents age 55 and up. Connell says the complex will help meet the city's housing demand. You know, we've always talked about housing and how difficult it is. Uh, you know, whenever you talk about companies coming to your community, the first is, do you have enough housing? And, you know, housing is a tough, tough subject. You know, it's truly a Goldilocks business. The interest rate has to be right, the price has to be right, and the jobs have to be there. So we have the jobs. The interest rates are not working with us much at this time. But 40 units uh, will, you know, 40 of these senior units will open a number of units in Barring further supply delays and electrical installation issues, construction is expected to be completed in early winter. Also at Thursday night's banquet, Shenandoah Medical Center's CEO Matt Sells was named incoming SKIA board president, and Brett Lorimore received the SKIA Ag Committee's Friend of Agriculture Award for 2023. Recent Shenandoah High graduate Molly Finn was named this year's Ag Future of America Scholarship recipient. Page County officials are addressing issues regarding window replacement at the county courthouse. Meeting at regular session Thursday night, the Page County Board of Supervisors heard from James Fine with Fine and Sons Home Builders of Clarinda on an issue with the new windows installed at the courthouse's first and second floor. The board selected Fine and Sons for the nearly $700,000 window replacement in May of last year with the windows coming from Pella in Shenandoah. Fine and Sons had recently began installing the windows in the first two floors. While it's not a structural issue, Fine says they have encountered a cosmetic problem with aligning a masonry band on the courthouse with the windows. The original plans had been to design the windows that that band, the masonry band, would match a band uh, in the windows. Um, there was a error in that measurement 
or the reading of that measurement and that band got put um, off approximately four inches. Fine says they installed roughly 10 to 12 windows between the two floors before catching the mismeasurement. He says one option would be to leave the windows, proceeds with the ones they have, and receive some reimbursement from Pella. The other option, Fine adds, would be to start over and remove the windows they recently installed. The other option would be to um, get new windows coming. The the I believe the first floor would be one of one of the floors was three weeks uh, lead time, and the other floor was eight week lead time. However, as of early Thursday afternoon, Fine says Pella is still formulating a number of the potential reimbursement. Supervisor Judy Clark says she favored leaving the windows and moving forward, adding it would cause unnecessary stress on everybody involved to start over. I don't think the normal person can see that there's a difference, and I would, my vote would be to go with what has already been installed because it's been a, a headache for you and the people in the offices if you would have to go back and take them out and reinstall them plus a delay in the process for you and for everyone here. While acknowledging the issue isn't very noticeable on the courthouse, Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes says he would like to see the proposed reimbursement before making a decision. Fine agreed that he would reach out to the board as soon as he heard the figures from Pella, and the board would meet as soon as possible, either in regular or special session. An Iowa district court judge this week temporarily blocked an ordinance in Sydney establishing a dual city administrator and clerk position. Ethan Hewitt reports. Judge Craig Dreismeyer issued an order Tuesday granting a temporary injunction against the Sydney City Council from further implementing Ordinance 240, which established the dual position. Well, the move comes after Sydney Mayor Ken Brown, represented by lawyer Clint Victor, filed a petition against the City Council and District Court Tuesday over the adoption of the City Administrator Clerk position requesting the injunction. Well, the document instructs the Fremont County Sheriff to prevent the Council from further implementing the ordinance or appointing an administrator clerk under the regulation. Well, Brown and the council have clashed for months over the creation of the joint position, with Brown vetoing all three approvals of the ordinance, which were then overridden by the council. In his veto of the third reading, Brown stated that Councilman Don Benedict had a conflict of interest in the matter due to his wife, Brenda, serving as the deputy clerk and wanting to, quote, change her working conditions, end quote, and her supervisor. Well, Brown stated the move came after he had attempted to, quote, hold her accountable for her job performance under the city's managerial structure, end quote. Well, due to Benedict being part of a 3-0 to zero vote on the first reading and believing there is a conflict of interest, Brown states the ordinance is invalid and the city must restart the process. The council overrode the third veto at its regular meeting on July 10th. Well, Don Benedict and other city officials have argued the position would provide more consistency for city employees, and Benedict has also denied the accusations of a conflict of interest. A copy of the writ of temporary injunction is available with this story at KMALand.com. I'm Ethan Hewitt reporting. Creativity abounded among youth in Shenandoah this week. For more than 30 years, children from all over KMALand and beyond made the Wabash Arts Camp a summertime tradition. About 150 campers in grades 3 through 7 participated in a wide range of classes at Shenandoah's National Guard Armory and other locations. Uh, Longtime Wabash Arts Camp Director Kelly G said a full gamut of art activities awaited this year's campers. A chance for kids to experience different artistic media like painting and drawing and theater, dance, origami, ductagami, clay, 
3D sculpture, <laughs> tie-dye, weaving, you name it. We've, we've got a little bit of everything. Attendees from 27 different communities in Iowa and 12 different states participated in the camp. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.